1: Welcome in to the and Audible's podcast. Matt Pream, Eric Scopo, Jared Mac on the show. Welcome to your Wednesday morning, afternoon, evening, or maybe it's Thursday for you when you listen to this podcast. Uh, the Ducks have gone through 10 football practices. This is going to be our second kind of fall camp update. Um, things have changed from an access standpoint, and so uh, we're reshuffling how we're discussing fall camp on the podcast. Uh, But we've still gleaned a lot of information. There's still a lot of discussion points. And, guys, I think we have to start with the offensive line because last week when we did this, there were injuries. There were guys not taking part in practice. Um, A week later, some of those guys have returned. But now other offensive linemen are out and unavailable for practice Um, as of Tuesday afternoon the 16th, which was Oregon's 10th fall camp practice. Um, Is it time to start getting worried that the depth here could not be at full force in a couple weeks when they go to Atlanta to play Georgia?
2: Well, as you alluded to Matt, if the trend is people miss about a week, but they always come back, then we're fine. Cause so far, none of the players who've been out have been out, like remain out, out Um, TJ Bass, was the first one we noticed who was not full go to start fall. He now appears to be pretty close to full go. Um, Big Sala and Cannon Rossi missed like a full week. Both of them were back in full go on Tuesday after missing a full week, which is kind of unique, by the way, that a player would be gone for a full week. Not, not only gone, I'm not saying he wasn't like taking part in drills when we watched, like they weren't at practice. And for yeah. them to then return and immediately back at full practice, it's kind of interesting. Um, read into that as you'd like. If that's the trend, though, where guys miss a bit of time, but then they come back and they're they're able to go, I'm not that concerned. My concern is it's just more guys every time we come out, it seems like, yeah. that are out. I mean, because now we've seen Jackson Powers-Johnson and Dawson Jaramillo and Bram Walden join the group who are not even at practice. Kawika Rogers has not been at practice now for, I think, about a week himself, true freshman. So that's four of your 14 scholarship offensive linemen that aren't even at practice. Um, Theope Lalu is at practice, but he's not doing much of anything. Uh, Michael Wooten, who was not practicing early on, is back and fully participating along with, like we said earlier, Sala and Bass and Rossi. So, I mean, it's crazy how many names I just ran through. Like, I think I've run through more names that have had issues this fall camp than those that have not, which is great. I'm trying to think, like, The guys that have taken part every day when we've watched, it's like Forsythe, it's Walk, it's Josh Connerly, it's Steven Jones, and it's uh, Marcus Harper. I think those are the only five scholarship guys that have been like full participation this fall, which when you're 11 days into fall camp and you have five scholarship guys that have been like taking part every day, that's sort of a little bit alarming in terms of just practice participation. But like I said, we haven't had any indication any of this stuff is super serious. Um, I will note that powers Johnson, we, we are aware that he left the scrimmage early. We saw him walking around the HTC court, like around the area, looked like he was favoring something in the upper body. So, um, that's maybe one to monitor, but so far everyone that's not been at practice has just come back and has taken, you know, it's back at full go. So if that continues to be the trend, I'm not worried because there's a lot of experienced players, but if some of these guys turn out like if powers johnson if that's a long-term thing if dawson doesn't come back for a while um then i start getting a little bit more nervous but at least you've got right now all five of your quote unquote expected starters back and josh Connolly's had a great fall from everything we've heard so um i'm not worry worried but i think it's a trend you don't certainly like right
3: now it's a trend you don't want to continue that's for sure but i guess i guess if the trend is you know a week off and then immediately back to full participation then it's not the worst trend in the world but like Eric mentioned it could be significantly worse if you know players if they were seen just you know walking into walking into camp on crutches or something like that where it's clear that they have suffered an actual you know physical injury that's going to impede them playing for a couple of weeks Um, yeah a lot of guys just going through the the ringer right now on that offensive line Um, like the top. Of your top 14 you got six or seven who are just at least or maybe not in order but six or seven guys always just partial participants maybe they're out maybe they're at practice and not practicing hard maybe they're just not there um it's it's an interesting one um but like you alluded to on at the end of what you were saying eric it does provide an opportunity for josh connerly or some of the younger guys dave ayuli as well to make an impact potentially or at least just get reps at this point um we'll just i guess we'll just quickly go and, and touch on that subject um brandon go or this, go ahead i just want to say jared there are some other
2: injuries to note. do we want to talk about those that wasn't in our show notes but i i, I thought that the injury like a dante thornton not being at practice yesterday sure. was is probably something we should at least tell the listeners if they haven't been reading our practice reports because i I, mean, I know he's not an offensive lineman we wanted to focus on that but that's maybe your most talented or one of your most talented receivers and I don't think that's a great sign he's not participating. And they have a lot of depth there, but, I, I mean, I and again, we don't know the, the duration of this one. He could be back at practice this afternoon when we're out there, but I thought that was kind of notable coming off of pretty, the first scrimmage that he's not available.
3: Yeah, Thornton wasn't available. Suave Poti wasn't at practice. And Mikhail Aisi was also not at practice uh, yesterday, which was a Tuesday. So Afaaisi, I don't think we have seen yet in fall camp um i don't know if i i so eric and i will get there early and we'll take attendance because that's maybe if if the listeners can read between the read between the tea leaves here that's uh about all the access that we get um but afa is hasn't been there i don't think most of camp and pody is another guy who is still looking for him and this could be Injuries. I know Dan Laney touched on FIAC and said that he was uh, he could be out for a, for a long time or a longer time than uh, in reference to what TJ Bash was dealing with at the time that we asked him. But those are those are two other guys um, along with the offensive lineman. Uh, I don't. Is there another couple of players, Eric, that off the top of your head? Because I what just went through my notebook and that's all the guys I have listed there
2: um yeah uh, we had noah sewell as limited yesterday mm-hmm. um but yeah. he was he was at practice at least and i mean he was in really good spirits coming in and coming out of practice in fact i watched him like run over and make funny faces behind mace Funa when he was being interviewed yep. so and he looked like he was moving fine so if if he's dealing with something i think it's rather minor but i i, and then, I um that, that, that's the only one i had
3: fail belalu and bailey jarmelo were also like I guess in the in the, like in the rehab line for for stretches, just not going through the same drills that everybody else took place in. Um, but both went through the stretches. They were both at practice. They were both there. It just seemed to be mildly limited.
2: Let's let's get into what you're about to talk to, or, or Matt, you can transition us there because I do think that's another talking point.
1: Sure. The Connerly point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact that the injuries have opened the door, whether it was going to happen naturally or not for Connerly to make an impression. And Adrian Clem, Morgan's offensive line coach, um, I think Eric, you wrote the story on this, that he made it abundantly clear um, he is not afraid to play true freshman along the offensive line. And you went back and found the data on that, which, I look, I didn't think there was going to be a, a chance that Connerly would – be a starter in 2022 and I don't know if I'm just overreacting because we don't get into full practice yeah. um the injuries we don't know how severe they are um for without you know for full confirmation there but I I think that door is there now I think it's open is it wide open probably not but I think there's a chance that Connerly could be in a position where he's forced his way onto the football field either as a starting tackle or maybe the team's – one of the team's top reserves that plays.
2: Yeah, he's certainly in the mix. And to the data that Matt's referencing is – and again, I wish I would have – I should have done a, a little bit of a better pre-scout before we got into camp because if you look at Adrian Clem's uh, bio at UCLA, he had recruited – or I should say started, had, had started six true freshmen when he was at UCLA and four of them were freshmen All-Americans. Um, that's a pretty large sample size yeah. from his five years – coaching the Bruins of he is not afraid to start true freshmen. now I don't think the circumstances were identical because I remember I think one of the years he started like three or four and it was just they just didn't have anyone back it was similar to when Oregon several years ago now had I think they were all redshirt freshmen but like four first year true fresh or you know first year redshirt freshmen when they had like Jake Hansen and Throckmorton and that group um and that, that might have actually all been five as well so like like, I think they had a year in that range where it was like, oh my gosh, that all their guys are two freshmen. But Connerly is a guy who is not like your average two freshmen. This is the number one rated offensive lineman in the country last year. And um, here's a quote that Clem gave um, last week where he said, Whoever is the best five is going to play. If it's a young guy who by the fourth game of the season is going to be better than somebody else, then he's going to start early on. It's just giving them the opportunity. And because of certain things, some guys have more opportunity than usual. It's a matter of what they can do with it and how soon they can do it. So uh, again, that, was, that quote was not specifically about Connerly, but if you wanna read between the lines and you think about it within the context of what we're talking about, it, it feels like he's certainly not closing the door there. And as both of my colleagues have said today, practice access is not, I'm trying to think of the right word. We're not seeing a ton, but one of the things that I've been able to take away is they do at, at some point in practice, Work on one on one blocking between offensive linemen and defensive linemen. And every time they've run through this, and it's been during some time where they've had some guys missing, like Bass has, wasn't around for most of this, Big Solo wasn't around for most of this, but every time they've done this, Connerly's been the first left tackle. Um, I, and we've, yeah, I think we've heard from a couple other people who have been at practice that's not been like we're not off on you know, representing him as a first team left tackle. Like he's been getting those reps for a while now. Um, whether, as Matt says, that sticks or not, I don't know. I think at worst case, he's probably your second string left tackle to open the season. I think best case he starts. Best case for him, I should say. Um, but I think it's a really interesting kind of storyline here because, as we said, I, I know I've said this in the past, we kind of got bit by the Kingsley Sumatia hype train last year. Matt and I both put or stuck our necks out there on the train tracks, and we kind of got run over right away because... We got into October, and the guy was already at BYU. Um, and we said he was going to start as a true freshman. That didn't happen. Um, I don't think Josh Connolly is going to be at BYU by October. I'll put it that way. I'm pretty confident that doesn't take place. Um, and then another uh, just kind of thing that kind of speaks to what he's done this fall is I asked Brandon Dorless just kind of about going against him. He just raved about the one-on-one battles they've had and just the guy's kind of mental makeup of, you know, he's an 18-year-old going against grown men. Oregon's defensive line super experienced. You know, Brandon Dorless is a guy who could be a second, third, fourth, fifth-round draft pick somewhere in that range this upcoming draft. And Dorless says it's been a challenge that's going against him. He also clarified he never loses to him. He wanted to make that right. point.
3: Out. Yeah, let's make that clear.
2: Because he wanted to make that clear because that's Brandon's a real – kind of a funny guy I, I wonder how I believe him is. too I mean I wonder, I wonder if it's 100% or if he's just you know puffing his chest out because the freshman's not going to get to speak on it for a long time um, but regardless like it, it sounds like from Dorliss's perspective that that Josh Conway is a guy who's really put in the work this fall and has really put himself in a position to play and you could tell he's a guy who really wants to play this year and he also noted like it's really hard to play left tackle as a true freshman in the Pac-12 or in any power conference so Um, some kind of notable buzz around Connerly and and we're prioritizing this because look we're not getting a ton from practice in terms of what we're watching but I think one of the things we have been able to see is is there's a lot of offensive line missing and it seems like Josh Connerly is making the most of the opportunities he's got.
3: I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, I'm not overly surprised to hear about Connerly doing this well. Um, You know he's ranked that high for a reason. Uh, he's all like, like we've mentioned on this podcast before, he's probably the only person in Oregon's offensive line room or one of the only people who are built like a left tackle. So that's not surprising again, that he is either, you know, playing with, with the first string or with the second team, or is it, you know, the backup left tackle, whatever the case may be. He's the most quintessential left tackle that they have on this roster. Um, And I don't think that's a surprise to see that, Oh, the, the the lone guy or one of the two guys who are built like a tackle are really good at playing tackle instead of mixing and matching offensive guards or players who play tackle in high school uh, and trying to convert them to tackles in college. I think that's just a harder thing to do. Um, but again, he's really good. I think we all expected that coming in. I would still be very surprised if he starts for week one. Yeah. Um, I think it's really important that he's getting all these reps and he's showcasing his talent and that, you know, if there is an injury um, to a tackle or maybe even to a guard, just that he has the talent level that I think they would be comfortable with him playing more reps than not. Um, and it adds to the depth of this offensive line room. Uh, I think we all know that if, if, if everybody's healthy on this off, in this offensive line room, playing time is really hard to come by. You got to almost just wait for an injury to happen because there's six, seven, eight guys ahead of Connerly that are have have playing experience, have time in college, and just you know that's that's extremely important with an offensive line compared to just pure talent. But with Dorles's comments about how talented he is and what going against him is like, it's great to hear for Oregon. I mean, that's going to be the, the fulcrum. That's going to be the, the center point of your offensive line for the next two, three years. And I think that's a really good thing to have. But I think maybe he gets a chance to start in the middle of the season if just due to injury. But I still think that because of the injuries to the offensive line that he's getting this opportunity. But again, a good credit to him for taking advantage of that because you don't get it often. And injury bug strikes whatever, but he's making the most of it. He's proving who he is and, and the type of caliber of player that he is.
2: We're both speculating, by the way. Like I, we, we don't know. Like we we watched so yeah. little of what they're actually doing. So like, no idea. He could. He very well could be a starting left tackle against Georgia. He very well could not start or play more than forty snaps all season. But in fall camp, it's one of the more. It's one of the things it's we know. is more taking snaps. Place. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um. There is interesting. Th- development here with Connerly. And I think Eric and I were talking about this yesterday at football practice that, and Jared brought it up, he's the only one that looks like an offensive tackle. And this, with the injuries that they currently have, guard, they are fine. They have a lot of bodies at the guard center position. Um, obviously Jones and Bass have both played a lot of snaps, or even Sala has played snaps at guard. But they've recruited a lot of guys. They've got a lot of underclassmen that are playing at guard um, as well. They don't have a lot of tackle bodies, and I think that could be a reason why he's moving up, or maybe has an opportunity to move up um, the depth chart and see early playing time. Um, especially if you know, like Dawson Jaramillo was was not at practice when we were there on Tuesday. And if he's unavailable, that's one of Oregon's top versus, you know, multi-positional players off the bench. And if he's not available, that opens the door wide open for Connolly to play. Um, and, and it might be a case where he, maybe he passes Dawson. I don't know, but I, I just think the expectation now is he's going to play. Now, how much that that's where we don't know yet.
2: And just w- one last thought before we move on, on the offensive line, um, Jones, Steven Jones to me is the one that's really notable where he's working because for the last week, he'd been at an interior spot. He was working at right guard some days, left guard some days. He was back at left tackle on Tuesday, which I thought was notable when we were watching. He was at least working there. Sala was back at right tackle, which is his natural spot. I think I feel pretty confident. I feel pretty confident Sala is going to be your right tackle. Um, when, When Sala was not at practice, Dawson Jaramillo was the team's right tackle. So, I think Dawson's a right tackle. I don't think he's a left tackle. I think uh, Solo's the top right tackle, and I think Stephen Jones is now is he a left tackle? Is he a left guard? Where is is he a right guard? Where does he fit? And I think some of this is going to depend upon where they settle with him.
3: It will, yeah. Uh, Stephen Jones is is probably one of two other guys on this roster who are who are built like a left tackle. That's the position he played when Panay Sewell was hurt and his in Sewell's freshman year and his freshman year as well. He's got the physical intangibles and they've tried him out on basically every single position except center um kind of feel for the guy i think i mentioned this on a previous podcast how i feel for him that he can't just like fit in at one of these five positions um you know if it were up to me i'd always just try to throw him a tackle one of the two tackles i think Sala, like eric said is your right tackle i think jones is your your best bet at left tackle with who you have else on the roster who has experience because i don't want to put foresight or walk or Harper or Sala at left tackle. So it doesn't leave that many players and certainly not not Jackson Powers Johnson either. So it doesn't, there's only so many guys he can throw out there. And I think Jones is A, the most experienced and B is probably has one of the better body types to become one. But again, like I said earlier, maybe because of Josh Connerly and his size and his speed and his athleticism, maybe that does bump him up because he's the only guy built like that him and Michael Wooten, but Michael Wooten is also, you know, a true freshman who, who was here in the spring that helps him a lot, but he's, at the end of the day, just not as talented as Connerly is, which it's hard to do.
1: Let's transition to Dorless. Um, An interesting discussion point was brought up by his position coach last week, Tony Tuioti, um, when he was asked about Dorless and just the play that he's had by saying he's, Dorless has become the alpha of the Oregon defense. And that kind of surprised me for a moment because I would have assumed it was going to be Sewell. And if it wasn't going to be Sewell, I probably maybe would have moved to saying Justin Flo or maybe like a Bennett Williams, but it's Dorless up front. We should note, like Eric said when we were discussing this on the podcast beforehand, uh, it's his position coach, so that matters a little bit. He's got, maybe got a little bit of just natural bias there, but some players have backed that that point up. Steve Stevens was asked that, and he agreed. Um, Dan Lanning didn't necessarily say agreed, but he talked on it and and spoke on it. But it's an interesting point where I think goes back to Media Day where Dan Lanning was saying the praise for Dorless was not there. And it's kind of backing up through fall camp.
2: You want your best players to be the alphas because it's weird it's impossible basically if you're if if, if you're like if like your ninth best player on defense is your best leader, right. Like that's a bad situation. And I think it's pretty clear Brandon Dorless is I don't know. Your second, third, fourth, fifth, somewhere in that range. Best defensive player? Maybe he's your best. Possibly. I mean, we've he's apparently put in a lot of work. And the thing with him that's really notable, I think, is he's playing defensive end. He's kind of trimmed down a little bit. You know, there's been guys who've changed their bodies in terms of getting bigger. He's one of the guys that's kind of slimmed down. And uh, I'm really curious to see his role playing. You know, at, at, as a defensive end all season, um because I think there's a chance he could really explode nationally. I mean, this guy's the guy's a first-team All-Conference player a year ago. I mean. You know, he and Sewell are the only returners from that team, from last year's team that were first team along the defensive line or on the defense. So uh, you love to hear it. Um, just talking with the guy, you see why um, there's an air of confidence with him that feels genuine and real. Um, we were talking on the way back after I'm, mean, because I was really impressed with the interview. I, mean, I went up and um, we didn't have uh, a camera on Brandon Dorlitz because they brought Steve Stevens the third to the. To the to the, the area where Matt was filming and I walked up to sorry the fourth
3: thank you I, I,
2: I, I apologize for uh, any of the Steve Stevens I forgot um <laughs> but no but it, I, well, I walked up right after it and I said Matt you've got to get that video up because go Ducks has the videos in a Dropbox file so you gotta get that video up because that's maybe the best player interview of fall so far because um, he is just a gregarious excitable fun-loving guy and I thought he shared some really interesting stuff and you know, we we were walking back to the car afterwards and James Crepe of the Oregonian made the comment. And I kind of agree of like, Dorless is the personality Kayvon Thibodeau should have been of in terms of like, Thibodeau was always very businesslike. He was always kind of straight, you know, buttoned up a little bit. He would say things every now and then that were a little bit offhand, but always kind of felt like he was um, working on his image and his, you know, and seeing himself as kind of a brand, right? Like that was the thing he talked about was working on his personal brand. I know we're kind of getting off a little of the alpha thing, but I think it does correlate because I think Dorless has just been like, a, he's a super real dude. And I think he's really mm-hmm. likable. You can tell his teammates really like him. I mean, you walk they walk by and they're all, you know, one of the things that's kind of fun is you can kind of get an idea of some of the popularity of the players by just how the procession of players walking behind the interviews interact with players and coaches. And Dorless every time has guys goofing around, screaming at him, yelling at him. You can just tell people like him, right? and i think that's part of the alpha thing is if you have a, if you're a really good player you're likable and then you have leadership capabilities and he's talked about how he's worked on becoming a more vocal leader like if you have all three of those things people are going to want to follow you and um, you know last year he was and he's whenever you have a guy like Thibodeau in your defense you're going to be overshadowed by him as a leader to a certain degree even if you're quote-unquote mm-hmm. a more natural leader and i think you probably have an argument that Just doorless with his disposition who again go watch his video the guy always has it's always smiling he's very funny he's i mean he's honestly probably one of my favorite guys to talk to right now a guy like that is somebody people if if you're really likable and people want to play you know people want to listen to you people want to get behind you and i think he has all those things working for him so um i'm not you know i'm not stunned that he is quote unquote the alpha because i don't know if i see that same personality always out of Noah Sewell, although he's a pretty goofy guy too with some of the stuff he's doing behind the scenes. He's just a little bit more buttoned up with media. Um, Justin Flo also, I think, has the personality. Bennett Williams has those kind of personality traits. Um, but you also understand that Dorless has been here and has been has played a big role on this team now for three going on four seasons. So um, I think the thing I would say is is Tony Toyote might have called Dorless the alpha. I bet you if you were to ask um, different position coaches, they would be able to name other players amongst their players that they feel have kind of held up similar ends of the bargain. You know, I think a Noah Sewell, I think a Bennett Williams, I think probably a Justin Flo, I think a Christian Gonzalez, even though he's a little bit more soft spoken. Yeah. I just think across the board, there's a lot of guys, like a Triquest Bridges is another name probably. I think across the board, there's a lot of guys that kind of have those leadership intangibles. Um, I think the staff has to be really excited by it. And now it's a matter of going out in the field on a Saturday because you can you know you can you can be quote unquote a leader but it's going to feel hollow if you go out on a saturday and you just miss your assignments and you're not very good and the defense struggles because of it and you don't hold yourself accountable so now it's a matter of going out and doing it you know in fall camp you hear all this stuff i'm curious to see kind of how all this leadership stuff this alpha quote unquote translates into the season
3: yeah like like you began your your talking points with is like you know Dorless is one of the better players on this defense and if he's the guy who is the alpha that's a good sign you don't want um you know your your third string linebacker or your third string safety to be the leader of your defense because then they are, there's there's a better chance that if they go out there on the field that they can't they can't prove that they're a leader they can't prove it when, with their play and Dorless a guy is a guy who like you mentioned Eric it's one of one of my favorite guys just to listen to just to interview and you know I've watched his watched his interview from yesterday he's just he's just a happy-go-lucky dude he's just a you know he's just always out there having fun and shooting from the hip I think is what I called him when we had that conversation with James Crepia, um, about how that should how that how that should have been how Kevon Thibodeau would have should have act acted but uh, Quick digression on that. Like, yeah, we, I think we all understand why, why Thibodeau acted like he did. He was all about yeah. building his brand and making sure that he was um, clean cut, composed, um, did it all. So, which I liked as well. But I, th- I think, I just think Brandon is more fun to interview at this point. <laughs> so, way, w- way more fun. Yeah. He's, he, he, it's, it's, it's just a totally different, it's just more fun. Yeah. I mean, there's, and like the popularity thing. Um, it's always a hoot watching, watching the players go out behind him and just, you know, screaming his name and just saying dumb stuff as well. Um, always funny going back and like you're transcribing listening to an interview and hearing some of those things. Um, but but Dorless is the alpha. I, I will say I think it does have a lot to do with his position coach, Tony Tuioti, saying it. Um, I think if we asked Matthew Powledge, I think he would say somebody in his room could be the alpha of the defense. I think that's just what a position coach needs to do. They need to back their guys up. And I think that's what happened this time. However, it's a good pick. I mean, we don't really know who the alpha is on this defense. I'm sure I mean we've all gone out here and already made guesses of the Dorless, the Flow, the Sewells, the Triquest Bridges is, Bridges is. I think that's how I'm gonna say it. Um, you know, we can all make a guess, but we don't really know. And I think if we were to assume that it was Brandon Dorlis, I think that would be a a solid assumption, whether or not it is or isn't has yet to be seen. But, you know, he's a guy who, who just is kind of a natural leader. Um, He's charismatic. He's fun. He's also really good. Um, And he he's very confident in himself, but he's not this overconfident, egotistical guy who you kind of don't want to listen to how good he is. But he just he goes out there on the field. He proves it. He plays a position where the stats just don't come. So he can go out there and be one of the best-rated defensive linemen in the Pac-12. And he'll finish with stats where you're like, this, this, is, this is one of the best-rated guys? It's like, yeah. No, he's that impactful. So sometimes he does have to, have to talk about himself and how good he is because it's not going to show up on the stat sheet. And, but it might this season with him playing defensive end and slimming down. I think there's a good chance that he does, you know, talk the talk and walk the walk when it comes to this season. So I'm excited to watch it. I'm excited to see who the real alpha is in that first game against Georgia because we won't be seeing it during fall camp. Um, might be Dorlis. Could be Sewell. Uh, we'll see. You know, I, I bet it. Uh, I bet it could be a star safety too. Maybe it's Bennett. Maybe it's Jamal Hill.
1: Say a quick break. When we come back. Um, we're going to dive into some recruiting discussion. Uh, the Ducks have had a couple commitments during fall camp, which it's not out of the realm of surprises, but it is a, a good trend that maybe wasn't expected three weeks ago uh, for the Oregon Ducks. We'll be right back here on the Odds and Audibles podcast.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: All right. Welcome back to the and Audible's podcast. Um, Some recruiting talk. Uh, The the Ducks have landed a couple verbal commitments in the last week or so. First, it was linebacker three-star Jerry Mixon from Sacred Heart Cathedral Prep in San Francisco. Um, a big-bodied inside linebacker prospect. And then just a couple of days ago, um, a total surprise by most people in the industry, um, Kenyan Sadiq, a uh, four-star athlete who was being recruited as an edge, a linebacker, and for Oregon, tight end, um, he is committed. And his commitment was a surprise because Oregon wasn't in his final three. That was – discussed and previewed the day before his verbal commitment, um, which came on the 15th of August. So a little bit of a surprise there by Oregon to, to be able to pull that off out of Idaho, um, Skyline Senior High School in Idaho Falls. Let's start here because this is – there was some concern at tight end, guys, like that they, they were running out of options. Players that they were targeting were choosing other schools – And then Oregon was able to pull this out of their hat and get a highly regarded athlete. 24 7 sports is really high on him. 149th best player in the country overall. The number one player in the state of Idaho. The 11th best athlete nationally. Um, You look at the schools that had offered him before his commitment. I mean, Michigan played in the college football playoff, Washington, which was one of his favorites. Uh, BYU had obviously offered from inside the state, um, Stanford, Texas, uh, they had offered scholarships and Oregon, Oregon got this guy. And, and this is, this is a, mu- this is a must get for Oregon because of the position that they were recruiting him for and the lack of dwindling targets.
2: You know, there aren't many surprises in recruiting these days. It just doesn't happen very often. Like typically, you know, and, and and maybe part of it is—it's not a surprise for us because we hear a lot of things leading up to it, and we're very rarely kind of—I don't want to say unprepared, but it's not—it's very un, very rare that it's unexpected, I guess. And for Oregon to land a player of this caliber, who they weren't even in his final three, which was released on July 29th, It's not like he put his final three out in May or June or something like that. And you know, Oregon, or it's like been like oregon like two weeks basically to get this sorted out and and they did and i absolutely love this kid's tape man you know i i'm i'm curious because he's a bit of a tweener at he's listed at 63220 he played at six two two oh five last year um in idaho i know the caliber of talent there is not this isn't the south this isn't california you know shoots probably not even you know parts of oregon probably not even you know. Portland, Oregon probably has better players collectively than what what he's facing, but ran 11 flat in the 100 this this spring. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, not a massive body type, but man, if you want to just flex this guy out wide, he's basically playing receiver in high school. He is a problem and I love the way he goes and tracks the football. I mean, incredible athlete, really, really good at making the tough contested catch. Um, Good in the screen game as a receiver. Good as a blocker in terms of if he just pancakes guys, drives guys into the sideline. Uh, he's the team's punter. He's the team's punt returner. He's the team's kick returner. I guess when you're in a you know if you're in Idaho Falls and you're an incredible athlete, you're probably going to do a lot of the things because he's the best candidate to do it all. Shoot, he'd probably be the quarterback, except for the fact that he can't throw the ball to himself quite as effectively. Um, but like I mean, he's 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 an impressive player, and as Matt said, like. I know I had um, a little bit of a rant a couple weeks ago. I don't remember exactly the date about the tight end position because I think it was in a mailbag because people asked, like, what's going on at the O-line and tight end? And I said, actually, O-line, linebacker, and tight end. And look, Oregon has landed a linebacker and a tight end in the last week after that. those concerns arose. So um, maybe the staff was listening to, the, listening to that particular question and figured they needed to get something figured out. But yeah. I, I was, con- I, I said tight end was the one I was most concerned about because it just didn't feel like there was a clear candidate. Like it didn't feel like there was a clear target. Oregon had offered a bunch of guys that all committed, not all, but most had committed elsewhere or eliminated Oregon. I thought Sadiq was one of them, by the way. And and for them to get this to be the result, I think is a really big win. And I guess my thing is, I'm just Jared's, Jared. Jared, yeah, there's like sirens going all day over there
3: i know there's a bunch of them i've been been in between muting all the time i don't know i live near west 11th there's just people going down uh, with sirens on like 24 7.
2: hopefully they're emergency vehicles and not just people attaching sirens to their vehicles and driving by which would be it would be I nice that, yeah. i think that's illegal um yeah no but i, <laughs> I think i think sadique is a guy where you go watch the guy's tape i would recommend those listening if you haven't done it man he is just he's really gifted as a pass catcher and i i think I will be very curious to see his progression because, again, he's a little undersized. I'm guessing he's somebody who's like 6'3", 230, 235, where he can be flexed out probably as kind of a jumbo wide receiver but maybe in line a little bit. I, I, he Again, he's not playing tight end in high school, at least not last year, so there's no like tape of him in line blocking or doing anything from that position. It's all like either out of the slot or, 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 uh, or out wide. So um, there's positional stuff that's a little bit of a concern. But you know who also was playing receiver exclusively? As a, t- as a high schooler who's now a really good tight end? Say den. it. Say Terrence, it. Fer- Terrence Ferguson. Oh. Uh, okay. Terrence, Terrence Ferguson didn't. You guys said, do you want me to give a Brock Bowers shout out? Was that where you thought I was going? Because I know that. Well, that's a where I was going. I was just. Well, I know, I know that's a comparison and I'll toss it to you in a second, but I was just going to say Terrence Ferguson was Oregon's best tight end last year after having never played tight end in high school. So, I mean, it's not unthinkable that Sadiq can arrive and be a really productive player. And I do like the Bowers comp in terms of not he's not six five he's not six six he's you know six three a little undersized from a height perspective but super dynamic super powerful and frankly I think Sadiq's probably a little bit faster in terms of straight line speed well maybe lacking some of the other intangible stuff but I I, I I like that comparison and I was gonna go there but I'll let you take uh take the reins on that one if you'd like.
3: Oh thank you I, I appreciate it. Uh I'm not gonna him to Brock Bowers but I am going to tell the, the listeners that this is these are the tight end molds of the future or maybe just the tight end molds of college football because especially when you line them up the way oregon did and then their previous recycle or (sighs) recruiting recycle um with terrence ferguson and maliki Mataval. you have one dude who's just a pass catcher and you have one guy who can catch a pass but he's more of a run blocker he's more of a guy who's going to set an edge (laughs) something like that and kenyan sadiq Sure. Yeah, he could probably set an edge and do that type of stuff too. But I don't think Oregon's going to be asking him to do that. I think they're going to be asking him to run straight down the field, high point of football, catch it in traffic, use his athleticism to jump higher than the, the five foot ten cornerback who's covering him. Um, this is a guy who's listed, I think, at six two, but is probably around that six three range, two twenty. Um, has the body, has the 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 frame to add more muscle um, to keep his speed. He's still young, so maybe he grows. I don't know. But you you look at a guy like Brock Bowers. I just had his, his player page pulled up. He's listed at 6'4", 235. So that's a number that I think is approachable, certainly with weight. Uh, you can't teach height, so he might
2: he's, get there. He's a, he is 6'3", on on 247's page now. He's been upgraded. He he grew an inch. Right.
3: So, he, so he 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 might get there. He might not get to 6'4". However, we know that... Um, official rosters are certainly uh, bumped up in in height and weight and whatever the case may be after the official roster height and weights came out for Oregon this past week. Um, A lot of shorter players nowadays, but uh, to go on with with, with Kenyon, um, like Eric mentioned, I I feel the same way. I just really like how he plays. Um, Thought it was really interesting how he played in the the screen game. He was a vertical threat. Uh, obviously the competition in Idaho, I've been to Idaho Falls, cool little place. I got a minor league baseball team there. Um, it's probably not the best. It's probably not playing in modern day or St. John Bosco, obviously. Um, I think it's probably comparable to an Oregon high school, but I think if you put Kenyan Sadiq in a Eugene high school, I think he would be putting up very similar numbers. I yes. just think that this guy translates um his composite is he's ranked just over the 300 in the country for the 24 7 sports composite but like matt mentioned to start this all off you know he's a top 150 top 24 7 guy You um, know we don't like to talk about them but on three they have him at you know he's a top 200 guy for them um i don't think espn has him ranked and i i, I haven't checked rivals yet but you know this is a guy who the the industry experts who go out there and watch him play understand that this is a talented dude. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if if this is a guy who gets uh, a, a what is it Eric? a Mallard move.
1: Mallard move.
3: Yeah, a Mallard move uh, sometime boy. in in the future because I just I just really like the way he plays and yeah, he could be he's undersized for a tight end, but this is what a modern tight end looks like. There's no more nitty-gritty. Sadly there will be I don't know how many more Gronks or um, like a Tony Gonzalez are going to be other than the pass catching ability. I just think it's going to be a lot more um, through the air type of deal. And I think that's what Oregon is aiming for. And that's why you could look at this as a precursor to what Terrence Ferguson might become in Kenny Dillingham's offense, because that's the type of guy that they're recruiting. And that's the guy, type of guy that they want to showcase on their on their offense.
2: So, to, so other, just to the recruit, I was just going to say to the recruiting ranking part really quick, Matt, before I send it to you, uh, ESPN has him as a four star, it's rivals that has him as a low three star. So, uh,
3: mm. rivals, get oh, with yeah, it. there it is, the 80 scout grade. Sorry, yeah, didn't see
1: uh, the other verbal commitment that happened is Jerry Mixon. Um, I like this because the linebacker room could look a lot different here in two years, and finding players who have high potential. Can develop in a year or two is imperative. I think it's going to be really hard to to land like a five star linebacker, even though Sewell and Flo both could be gone um, after this season. But Mixon is a guy that's really big. He's six, almost six three. He's two twenty. He's got the size right away to, to just just uh, land right in that middle of that of that linebacker spot. But I like the fact that he has a running back background that when his recruitment first started, some schools were actually looking at him as a running back. And I just, I I like linebackers that have history of playing running back because that's the position they're chasing more often than not. And they've got that natural feel of what a running back will want to do, like to do. Uh, And you look at the schools that were after him. And a lot of these schools are producing good linebackers either at the college level or even sending them off to the NFL and it's an important get for Oregon at linebacker, but just because of depth, who this guy is from a talent perspective, and you you want to keep landing the top players in California, even if he's from the Bay Area.
2: Well, his cousin's a pretty good running back, That'd be yeah. Joe, Joe Mixon. Um, so, I mean, there is some athletic lineage there for sure. Um, it's funny because you actually, if you look at, you, you, you they almost kind of you can tell they're related based upon just kind of their 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 facial structures to a certain degree. Um, no, I, I I really like this player too. Um, he is, by the way, I think the second lowest-rated player in the composite in Oregon's class, which I think speaks to the class more than the player. I think Oregon has a really deep class, 15 commitments now, um, up to 14th nationally, right behind USC. I mean, they both both USC and Oregon have very similar classes right now. I think that I think Oregon has one more blue chip player. USC has one more five star. USC is slightly ahead because of that five star. Advantage, um, and they they both have 15 commitments now. So um, I think it's going to. By the way, I mean not to make it about this because I want to talk about Mixon. I think it's going to be a potentially a pretty close, down to the wire battle between Oregon and USC for Pac-12 recruiting supremacy this year. Um, As as long as both schools can keep their guys, I think it's going to be it's going to be close. But Mixon Mixon is a guy who I really like. Um, You know, he's not super flashy. You know, his tape doesn't have the wow factor, quote-unquote, like you see with a Sadiq, where Sadiq had 19 touchdowns last year and, like, 1,700 yards. Like, he was putting up video game numbers, plus he had a bunch of rushing touchdowns and he, all this yeah. stuff. Yeah, and played defense. And played defense and, and was a punter and had punt returns for touchdowns and kick returns for touchdowns and all that stuff. But, like, Mixon's, a, as Matt said, plays a little running back still. Defensively, he's an, he's an inside linebacker. Um, I, I, I think there is – I think the, the body type stuff is is pretty intriguing because he's about 6'3, 220 now. I think he's a 6'3, 240 guy, 245 guy, you know, depending upon where they want to place him positionally. But at Oregon, I think there's room to add weight. He can, you can look at him and just physically see he can add some some weight to his upper body and his lower body. Um I, I think he maybe lacks a little bit of that explosiveness, but he's really good at timing off the line of scrimmage. And a lot of the plays he makes are uh based upon the fact that he jimes his jump and he's in the backfield and has a great nose for the football. He's not afraid of contact. He's, I think I wrote in my, in my uh, film review, he, he plays with a little bit of a bite, he plays with a little bit of an intensity, a little bit of an edge. Um, I, I think this is a good prospect. And for somebody again, who's the 710th best player in the country, this is a good get because you need players at this position group. And I think kind of quietly, Oregon has I mean, I don't know if you guys picked up on this. Like, Oregon has 15 verbal commitments. 10 of them are on defense, and only five are on offense. Like, pretty closely, Oregon's pretty close to finishing up its defensive side of the football from a recruiting perspective. There's, I think we know of two or three other guys that Oregon's in really good shape to land here, potentially, all in the next couple of weeks. We might get to the start of the season. Oregon might be almost full on defense, with the exception of holding out a scholarship or two for some of the the, the real blue chippers, like a David Hicks or a, or a Mateo. Um, like, I think kind of quietly, the defensive side of the class is filling up and and uh, and Mixon's definitely a nice addition to, to help do that.
3: Yeah, interesting that they've been going mostly defense to start this cycle. I, I think it does make sense to a point because uh, I think if there's, you know, there's any one side of the ball that a lot of guys are going to leave or go pro or something like that, it is defense. That's the guy, that's the... The, the side of the team that has the most amount of guys who can go. But for Mixon, um, I think this is a good take. Uh, like Eric, you mentioned, you know, he's the 710th ranked guy in the country, but um, that speaks to the depth of, of this 2020, uh, 2023 class for the Ducks. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a bigger guy, six, two and a half is his listed height on 24-7, 220. Um, definitely could add Wade. Um, like Matt mentioned, I do like the fact that he played linebacker before. Um, Again, not to compare him to somebody, but that's something that Noah Sewell did his his time at Orem High School in Utah. I think I think those traits kind of overlap at points. Um, I think that's why his timing is so good on his tape. Um, I I do like uh, he's he's not the prototypical recruit that Oregon has gotten this cycle, who has like elite elite speed, elite at least straight line speed that they can kind of kind of work on with agility drills, stuff like that. Um, I think this guy has room for improvement in the speed department. This is a position group that he's not going to be expected to play right away. He just won't. There's a bunch of guys ahead of him like Jeffrey Bassa or Devin Jackson, Keith Brown, Harrison Taggart. Like there's some guys ahead of him, guys that he can learn from. Um, and I think that's a good thing for Oregon. I think they could try to go after, you know, a high profile recruit, but maybe they're going to save all those, all the bullets for that for next year. Um, Linebacking is a is a group that I think I'll always feel confident with with, with Dan Lanning as the head coach. I think he's going to want to coach some of the best players in the country. I think some of the best players in the country are going to want to be coached by him. So overall, I, I like this move for the Ducks. Make him the the 15th commitment of this class. Um, yeah, slowly but surely, that the USC lead that they had to start the recruiting cycle has begun to dwindle. Now just one spot behind. Um, Washington with their 8 million three-star recruits are slowly are being passed rather quickly by the Ducks and then the Pac-12 recruiting rankings. Um, I, I think this is still shaping up to be a good class. I know that, that fans were, were really worried about two months ago or something like that about how they were getting passed up, how Oregon wasn't getting good recruits, how all of this was going to happen. Um, that's, I think it's four or five commitments in the month of August. I think it's four, four commitments in the month of August. Four-star Terrence Green, four-star Michael Gardner, uh, four-star Kenyon Sadiq, and then three-star Jerry Mixon. And that could grow. Yeah, and that could grow. This is a good month. Um, this is right before the season. Oregon is saving all the the bullets they got left in the chambers for official visits for the season. If you're already a top 15 class in the country and you still have all those official visits for during the season for guys who aren't committed – I think that's a pretty good start. I think that's a pretty good place to be in. And I, again, with, the, with this staff, I think like we've been saying for a long time now, with this staff, with good as recruiters as they have been, as they are, as they will be, I don't think recruiting is going to be something to worry about And Eugene with this staff.
1: We talked about, I think a couple years ago when Oregon signed its best class in school history um, I think it was Eric that wrote something on this. It was under a different coaching staff, so that factors in here. But they signed at that time a lot of the state's number one player that cycle mm-hmm. um, across multiple states. And Oregon is kind of in that line right now. They have, they've got four number one players in the, a respected state. Dante Moore is the number one player uh, in Michigan. Uh, Caleb Presley is the number one player in Washington. Kenyon Sadiq is the number one player in Idaho. And then uh, Tatum Tuioti is the number one player in the state of Oregon. And then just real quick, you go down and you see the number three player in California, Dreon Diggy. Uh, the number two player in Arizona, and Cole Martin, the number four player in Mississippi, and Dante Dardell. the number three player in Nevada, and Cody DeCambra. Uh, and then I think that's about it. I mean, they've got the sixth best player in, in Utah and in Tavita Pomey, but the point stands is, like Jared said, there was concern about Oregon recruiting from the fan base. But if you look at the list of guys that they're landing and that the numbers that they've landed in August and the quality that they're landing, it's turning into a really, really good class. I, I like the fact they can go out and get the best player in this state, the best player in that state, that matters to me.
2: No, I think you should be optimistic about it. And I guess where I'm curious is is now not to try to play Debbie Downer, but just the one position they haven't addressed now is offensive line. You know, I think we mm-hmm. expect them to land a couple more edge defensive line, linebacker guys, maybe a receiver. There's, I think there's about four guys in those position groups and those who fall recruiting know pretty well who I'm talking about. The offensive line is I think the one where you go, okay, you got to – it's time for – I know, and I, and I also feel kind of funny being like it's time for Adrian Clem to prove himself because he just landed Josh Connerly four months right. ago, and yeah. that's the best offensive lineman in the country. So it's not like the guy is striking out at all times, but this cycle has not gone the way – I mean, remember how many big-time four- and five-star offensive linemen visited in June? I mean, it was yeah. over half a dozen big-time top 200 recruits that were on campus for, um, for, for official visits, and they haven't landed any of them. So – There's still some good prospects on the offensive line, but that's the one position, you know, that I think they really needed to address because I said earlier, I think on defense, especially once they finish this month, because I think by the time they play Georgia and Atlanta, they'll have landed another defensive lineman. They'll have landed another linebacker. They'll have landed another edge player. I think we're pretty confident that there are three players that they're going to land at those positions and that might make them close to full on defense. Offensively, you've got, maybe the best quarterback in the entire country. You've got a really good running back in Dante Dowdell. You now have two awesome wide receivers and a really, really good hybrid tight end athlete, you know, wide receiver in Kenyon Sadiq. Go find some offensive linemen. I think that this no, is where, this is where, yeah, this is where this class kind of needs to go from here is is go find three to four. And actually, Clem was asked about how many they wanted in this class. And he said, it's about quality, not quantity. They're not gonna just add bodies just to add bodies. I think if he could get three to four that are guys that they feel like are takes, that's a win.
3: Yeah, I do wonder if maybe the plan, I mean, I think there's still some big fish out there for the offensive line. I do wonder if maybe the plan is just to look for the transfer portal because it doesn't, you know, you can sign more than, more than 25 this season to get to that 85 scholarship limit. And I wonder if going through the transfer portal is the ideal way in Clem's eyes to refill this offensive line because you're losing a lot of experienced guys. You're bringing in a lot of guys with no experience. I don't know, but yeah, clearly that is the position of, of need. Um, I guess they could take another tight end if there's a guy that they really like. Um, it's just that room is, room, the, the room was small to begin with. And now uh, there's, you only have two two returning guys who you can really count on in, in production so I think that could be another take, um, but offensive line and yeah, I don't think Adrian Clem needs to prove his worth. I think he's already done that, but I do think that, you know, that that's the probably the most important position right now of, of getting somebody or getting bodies into. So we'll see what he does during the future. There's still some big fish out there. Um, it's just, you know, you're hoping that he doesn't that Oregon doesn't go over five or over six in terms of how many offensive line they brought during those two June weekends.
1: You can do it for us here on the Aughts and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Make sure to check back on Friday. We'll have a full podcast dedicated to college football recruiting um, with Brandon Huffman on the show. And until then, you've been listening to the Ots and Audibles podcast.
2: Talk to you later, folks. Peace.
4: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.